Welcome to the Law Floor Podcast with Ria and Isabella from Open Law, your go-to series for all things law. Learn the tips, tricks and challenges of the legal industry's best and keep up to date with emerging legal technologies and developments that are transforming the way Australia's legal system is practiced. Today we discuss the High Court decision from the 16th of March handed down in Stubbings and Jams 2 Proprietary Limited with Erica Taylor, our very first guest on the Law Font Podcast. To all our new listeners, Erica is the Director of Special Projects at Jade and the Victorian Reports. In our first episode, Erica noted this decision as one of the most long-awaited judgments of 2022. Well, this morning, the High Court held that the Court of Appeal erred in deciding that Mr. Jurilowski was entitled to rely on the certificates and not make inquiries about the appellant's personal or financial circumstances, allowing the appeal. But before we dive deep into the crux of the case, welcome, Erica. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me again. Erica, can you please walk us through the facts and the procedural history of Stubbings and Gems too? Sure. So um, Mr Stubbings was the director of a company by the name of Victorian Boat Clinic Proprietary Limited. Um, And this company had never traded or held any assets. Mr Stubbings uh, was the owner of two properties in Victoria, but he lived in a rental property at which he was also employed. Mr Stubbings fell out with his employer and needed to find a new place to live. After falling out with his employer, Mr Stubbings needed to find a new place to live. So rather than living in one of the properties that he owned, he decided he wanted to buy a property on the Mornington Peninsula. And to facilitate the purchase, he applied for a loan with a first-tier lender But that loan application was rejected because Mr Stubbings was unemployed at the time and he also had a lack of financial records. He hadn't filed tax returns for a number of years. So subsequently, Mr Stubbings was introduced to a fellow by the name of Mr Zorkas, who then introduced him to um, a law firm by the name of AJ Lawyers. And that firm provided legal advice for other companies wanting to facilitate asset-based lending. And asset-based lending allows a borrower to obtain finance, and that finance is assessed solely on the basis of the assets held by the borrower without any regard to the borrower's ability to make repayments. And that's because the value of the security taken over the assets it would be sufficient to discharge the loan in the event of a default. So, By no surprise, there was a default in this matter. And in 2016, JAMS 2, Proprietary Limited, um, along with two other plaintiffs, made an application for summary judgment for possession of Mr Stubbings' properties. And the associate judge who heard the application found that even though Mr Stubbings had no real prospect of defending the claim for possession, summary judgment was refused and the associate judge made an order that the matter proceed to a full hearing, subject to Mr Stubbings being able to provide security for costs, so an amount to be paid to the court to secure um, any costs that may be awarded against him. And Mr Stubbings failed to provide the security within the relevant time, and because of that, um, the court made orders for the summary possession of his property. So the decision of the associate judge was appealed And Justice Elliott in the Victorian Supreme Court found that the associate judge ought to have been satisfied on the basis of the circumstances of the case that Mr Stubbings had a real prospect of success in his defence of the application for summary judgment for possession on the basis of unconscionable conduct. So the matter went for another two rounds in the Supreme Court where it was found at first instance that the plaintiffs acted unconscionably 
when they entered into the loan agreement with Mr Stubbings on the basis that he was at a special disadvantage and that he was, quote, unsophisticated, naive and had little financial nous. That decision was appealed and on appeal the court found that the reasons of the primary judge, so Justice Elliott, reflected that he held a negative view of asset-based lending as a concept and that this view affected his determination of the issue of whether or not the loan was unconscionable. So the Court of Appeal set aside the orders of the primary judge and ordered that judgment be entered for the mortgagees for possession of one of the properties because the other two properties have been sold in the interim. So that's a a brief summation of the facts and the procedural history of the case. So in relation to Wednesday's decision, what do you think was the most contentious issue for determination? The key issue for determination by the High Court was whether it was unconscionable for the mortgagees to attempt to enforce their legal rights under the mortgage. And in accordance with the line of authorities, that required an examination of the particular facts of the case, to what extent Mr Stubbings suffered a special disadvantage, if any, and if so, the extent of the respondent's knowledge and exploitation of this special disadvantage. And Equity does not operate to allow a party to escape the consequences of entering into a risky transaction in the court of ordinary business. It will only intervene if that party can point to particular conduct of the other party, which justifies the intervention. The appellants conceded that there is nothing unconscionable about asset-based lending. What did the High Court have to say about this? So as noted in the judgment of Justice Gordon, nothing turned on the type of loan or whether the term asset-based lending had any necessary meaning. And Justice Stewart, in their decision, noted that there's no one type of asset-based lending and that, quote, parties are always free to negotiate their own particular terms for lending money. Thanks, Erica. And the High Court held that equitable intervention was justified, in quotation, not merely to relieve the appellant from the consequences of his own foolishness, but to prevent his victimisation. What do you think about this? Well, there's always going to be difficulties with the practical application of equitable intervention in cases of unconscionable conduct. And as the plurality in this case stated, special disadvantage and the knowledge and exploitation of the disadvantage are not to be addressed as separate elements. So it's the totality of the circumstances that must be considered. So in this case, Mr. Jaralzowski, the lawyer, relied on certificates of independent legal advice and independent financial advice, and these were of critical importance in the judgment of the Court of Appeal, which found that he, Mr. Jaralzowski, was entitled to rely on those certificates and that on the basis of those certificates, it was reasonable for him not to make any further inquiries as to Mr. Stubbing's financial circumstances or his capacity to repay the loan. The Court of Appeal did say that if those certificates had not been in existence, then there may have been sufficient knowledge on Mr. Jaralzowski's part to justify a finding of unconscionable conduct. However, the High Court found that Mr. Jaralzowski, on behalf of the respondents, knew how detrimental the loan would be for Mr. Stubbings, but took the opportunity to exploit his, quote, lack of business acumen and meagre financial resources, end quote. And what are the potential implications of this judgment for future causes of action in equity? Well, in this case, Mr. Jaralzowski knew that Mr. Stubbings' company, which had never traded and held no assets, was about to borrow $1 million and pursuant to the terms of the loan, 
he would be required to pay as guarantor around $10,000 a month in interest. And Mr. Jaroszowski knew this while also suspecting that Mr. Stubbings had no income. The existence of the certificates that were signed by the independent accountant and the independent lawyer didn't excuse Mr. Jaroszowski's willful blindness to Mr. Stubbings' individual circumstances. So this case emphasises that an assessment as to whether or not a person might be at a special disadvantage goes beyond just the bargaining power of the parties, uh, beyond whether the innocent party suffers from a profound disability or is able to control their own affairs or is literate in English. For a disadvantage to be special, there must be an inability on the part of the innocent party to act in their best interest, which is known or ought to be known by the other party. And given the facts of the case, the High Court found that Mr Jaroszowski knew or ought to have known that this particular transaction, given Mr Stubbing's circumstances, he wasn't acting in his best interest. He wasn't able to act in his best interest. And at paragraph 51 in the judgment of Chief Justice Kiefel and Justices Keane and Gleeson, it says, quote, Mr Jaroszowski, on behalf of the respondents, appreciated that the loans were a dangerous transaction from the appellant's point of view, but the prospect of obtaining the profit to be made by taking of the appellant's equity by way of interest payments made the exploitation of the appellant's disadvantages good business for the respondents. And I think that's very telling as to the conduct of the respondents in this particular case. So based on this case, do you think that court intervention and protection should remain at the level it is now, or should parties resolve issues such as these independently? I think court intervention and protection should remain at the level it is now, especially because in these types of cases where you're dealing with unconscionable conduct, you are dealing with a party who is likely to be at a significant disadvantage. Um, so the innocent party is likely to not have the requisite level of knowledge to know how they might try and settle a matter like this privately with with the stronger party. Obviously, the court intervenes where one of the parties commences litigation and that, that requires significant financial resources. In this, I wonder if Mr Stubbings himself would have taken action had the respondents not filed an application for summary possession of his properties. Obviously, they went down that course because Mr Stubbings defaulted on his loan and they wanted to liquidate the assets to satisfy the um, money that was owing to them. I think in circumstances where you are looking at parties who may have been affected by unconscionable conduct, it's really important for the courts to step in and carefully analyse the facts and circumstances on each case because the decision will turn on those facts as we saw here. Um, and it, the categorization of what is a special disadvantage and how and to what extent someone took advantage of knowing that a special disadvantage existed, there's no black and white definition for um, that type of conduct or what is a special disadvantage. So it's really integral that the, the courts step in to clarify the law and apply it in accordance with the circumstances of the case. Thank you for sharing that opinion, Erica, and thank you so much for walking us through Stubbings and Gems too. This case has definitely provided clarity surrounding asset-based lending and unconscionability. 
To read the full decision and keep yourself up to date with future high court judgments, sign up for alerts on Jade so you can get automated emails keeping you in the loop with case developments. And if you enjoyed today's mini episode and would like to see the Law Fluent podcast cover more high court case developments, would love to hear from you. Thank you, Erica. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks, Isabella. Thanks, Ria. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in today. Leave us a review if you enjoyed today's episode. Keep listening on your favorite streaming services, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and hit subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. Follow us on social media at The Law Flaunt Podcast on Instagram and Facebook and at Open Law on LinkedIn. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about or you'd like to feature on The Law Flaunt Podcast, don't be shy. Send us an email at stafidas at openlaw.com.au. That's S-T-A-F-I-D-A-S. And don't forget to head over to openlaw.org.au to learn more, stay up to date and become law fluent. Until next time.